There is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I want to commend you on your wisdom to be listening to America Can We Talk tonight instead of getting ready to watch the Oscars, which are just not even nearly as interesting or informative or important than talking about America. Welcome to my show. Welcome especially to our our, uh, audience in Dallas, of of course, our, our, our home audience, and to our listeners at 960 AM, The Patriot in Phoenix. And um, in Colorado Springs at AM 1460, FM 101.1, The Answer. Thank you so much for tuning in to America Can We Talk. Tonight's first five, I want to talk about the um, – uh, one more thing to my Facebook Live. Welcome to Facebook Live, people. And also, if you're listening to Facebook Live, which is a really growing and great audience, I want to be sure to mention that because this is live radio – we cut off the Facebook Live feed at the end of each segment to spare you four minutes of commercials, which may not interest you. So, um, But we always turn it right back on. And so if you are listening on Facebook Live, please come back after our four-minute breaks uh, so we can hear you can hear all two hours of the show tonight. I want to just start our first five tonight just talking about the idea that I had the, you know, I read political news all the time, and I was struck this week more than in a long time how much we Americans are being kind of astroturfed. We're being overwhelmed by the Democrat victim factory. We're being played. We're being manipulated. We're being silenced, and we need to see it, say it, and fight it. And the particular example I want to talk about tonight is has to do with the uh, Parkland shooting, the horrible incident on Valentine's Day, uh, in which students were at a public high school in Florida were uh, just brutally killed by a uh, mentally ill student, um, a former student at that school. You know, this, um, the reason why this matters so much is because we are coming up in the 2018 midterms. You know, I know it seems like they're months away, and maybe it seems to some people like we're always in some election cycle, but we are coming up in the 2018 midterms in November, and we are starting here in the great state of Texas. We have our primaries, actually, this week, March 6th, um, which is Tuesday, are the primaries in Texas. Um, and so we have a lot of political activity in Texas that uh, we've been talking about uh, to a certain degree in this show. And the left is in panic mode in this country over uh, the fact that Donald Trump not only won the election in in 2016, but that he's actually beginning to implement some of the big strategic changes he talked about in his campaign. The left is livid. They are, they are, I can't even think of the right word, disconnected. They are just determined to be sure that there is no success in the Trump agenda. So they they are enormously motivated. They're energized. They're angry. And I want to point out some of the tactics they are using. You, you and probably and millions of other Americans noticed after the Parkland shooting that there was a just the, the word used about the students at that high school throughout media was amazing. These are amazing kids. Look what they've done. It appeared as though a perfectly, uh, you know, a group of students at a high school with no assistance at all took that horrific tragedy and turned it into a national movement with just because of their amazing commitment and concern and dedication. And what actually was happening is the organized American left jumped on this bandwagon the day after it happened. I want to point specifically and tell you the groups that got involved. First, 
Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz, former DNC chair, she had to step down to her uh, scandalous conduct. But Debbie Wasserman Schultz aided in lobbying immediately in Tallahassee, Florida, on behalf of the students. A teachers union organized the buses that got the kids to a march. Michael Bloomberg's groups and the Women's March are working on the upcoming March for Our Lives, which is allegedly a student-led, but it's actually left-wing, massively organized left-wing funded. MoveOn.org is doing social media promotion and even considering doing helping them with logistics on this upcoming march. There's going to be a march in Washington. We'll talk a little more about that later. Um, and Planned Parenthood is consistent, funded by your federal tax dollars, is participating in training the student activists. The national president, the president of the American Federation of Teachers, told BuzzFeed they're behind the national school walkout, which the journalists were calling, you know, the sole work of a teenager. I just want you to recognize this massive outpouring of concern. And, of course, these students are concerned. And, of course, that tri- that uh, was a horrible incident. We need to do everything meaningful that we can do to actually prevent things like that from happening in the future. But the point is the response to the this horrible incident response that has seemed to be just organically by these students is a massive left-wing professionalized response. And the Broward County Teachers Union involved, very, very militant group, uh, not your average happy teachers. And it's just important to understand this. This is not Organizing is not an instinctive thing they just came up with out of outrage. This is left-wing organizing, as they have done from from the days of the community organizer extraordinaire. Uh, these people, by the way, these students got a million dollars donated to them. Half a million from Oprah Winfrey, half a million from George Clooney. Those types, they don't just step in and give million dollars away for no good reason. They do it because they know there's a massive left-wing push behind this, which is to take away guns. And so do we understand that clearly? We come back from the break. We have to go off to a break here in a moment. But I want to just alert you to this is just one example of how far the American left is pushing America and getting behind seemingly organic things, and they are going to change the course and culture of America if we don't stand up. But don't worry, we will. Come back after the break. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. 
the Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties. And in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Can you hear us now? Can you hear us and welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm understanding from some text messages I'm getting that there's a little bit of uh, buzz on the Facebook Live line, so um, let me know if that continues. I've reset it. I think we should be okay. You know, I wanted to start tonight talking about what happened, uh, what the outcome has been after the last several weeks after the uh, shooting at the Parkland School in Florida. But it's a part of it, just a piece of a larger picture I want to try to paint tonight uh, about what is really happening in our election cycles and what will happen in 2018 and beyond. The reason it is troubling is that while much of the all of America is just you know devastated by what happened in Parkland, devastated by the loss of life, the reaction of the American left was to seize on this, let no tragedy go unexploited, whatever the expression was of a Rahm Emanuel, you know. But that the idea was, is if there's anything that happens, seize on it and get maximum political opportunity out of it. And this is what the left is doing. And so part of what I wanted to share with you, in addition to the fact that the Women's March 
which I always want to say is not the women's march. It's the left-wing radical women's march um, is doing. They have a march coming up, and they're also supporting uh, these students and, and their march. And so they're helping them get their parade permits. They're counseling them. Um, they have uh, slick websites up already. This is not organic, what you're watching. And it's part of the larger effort the American left is engaged in, which is to essentially win the culture war and ultimately to shut down and silence conservatives in this country. There was a piece in the New York Times by David Brooks, a left-wing guy, who basically said that he thought after Parkland, that the shooting at the Parkland school, that... You know, he'd always advocate until that point that they, the cult, the leftist progressives, had to very slowly and carefully uh, move the move the needle on the subject of gun control. That they had to be friendly and make nice comments about gun owners and try to be friendly and and move the needle slowly toward the left wing goal of taking all guns away, which is what the goal is. And I do want to, I'll tell you, in the second hour, I'm going to get to part of what is so what's happening on the left with respect to guns, but. As to this political point I want to make right now, we are seeing the formation of the the determination of the left to engage in beyond just opposition or lobbying for candidates who support their views, but just an aggressive cultural crusade, an aggressive cultural crusade of shaming and silencing people who don't agree with them. And this is just one piece. It is an effort, in fact, that was part of what was being discussed on the American left was the idea that... We need to, they think, they need to make gun ownership, advocacy for gun ownership, support of gun ownership. Gun owners themselves need to be marginalized, embarrassed, criticized, shamed into surrender to the left-wing view. This is the effort. This is the goal, what the the people um, are trying to do. And, you know, it isn't just in the arena of gun ownership. I'll get to two other examples of just watching America's culture being bulldozed, being just run over by a tank by the left, and we flounder around and don't want to be accused of being insensitive or unfair or some other word the left thinks up, and so we just capitulate and capitulate and capitulate. And it's really important to understand what the left is doing to see what they're doing for what it is. One, uh, so one person who wrote something really, um, Mixed reviews on his views on everything, but he wrote about having watched a um, a movie related to the. Uh, it's called Paperheads. It was a 1995 documentary about communism and what the communists did in Czechoslovakia. You could repeat this story about what communists and socialists do all over the world, which is that same kind of take cultural control. Shame, make people embarrassed to not agree with them on any subject. Submit, and under communism, of course, it went from simply shaming to the actual effort to, uh, and, and following through on public trials, executions, you know, putting people to death for not agreeing with the left wing culture. And this culture of intolerance, of divergency of, uh, of a divergent viewpoints, the unwillingness to engage in what is a hallmark of Western civilization, discussion of the issues, this is what. The left is up to in America. They are seizing the opportunity from this gun, this horrible incident involving guns, uh, to shame gun owners. But it, but it is bigger than that. The left recognizes that their their war, uh, which is you know we've called it political correctness, that now just seems like too innocent a term, too naive a term. It is to marginalize and embarrass anyone who will not agree with the left wing agenda on anything. And so we had, for example, one case I mentioned last week, 
a uh, in, at NYU, prestigious university in New York City, had a, um, a cafeteria, the supervisor in the cafeteria area, trying to honor Black History Month by letting uh, asking two black cafeteria workers to design a menu at uh, one day where they were going to honor Black History Month with a menu. Whatever it was they came up with, one black student complained that it was patronizing, cultural, a cultural affront. It was whatever. She was didn't like the menu that these two black employees chose to honor Black History Month for lunch or dinner, whatever it was. NYU fired the cafeteria workers for their insensitivity in picking a menu that one student didn't like. And so... This is a good example of all this crazy left-wing stuff is not happening just on campuses, but it's being carried forward in other ways, too. And so I'll just, I want to give you a couple other examples. They're, they're simply uh, simply mind-blowing. So uh, Mike Huckabee, former pre- presidential contender, former governor, uh, was invited to sit on the board of the um, Country Music Association, the CMA. So that's fun. In fact, it was the fundraising part of CMA. He lasted one day. Mike Huckabee, honored to be included on the community, uh, excuse me, on the uh, Country Music um, Association board, only got to serve one day because one person, Jason Owen, a co-president of Monument Records and the owner of Sandbox Entertainment, called the appointment of Mike Huckabee to the Country Music Association Foundation, which is his charitable arm, an affront to him because he and his husband have one child, have twins on the way, and they were offended that someone who believes in traditional marriage got to sit on the board of the Country Music Association, threatened to pull his support away from Country Music Association. So Mike Huckabee has to get off the board. This is what I'm talking about, cultural bulldozing, embarrassing, humiliating, putting conservative viewpoints, not just in a, in a light where you say, um, the left says, I disagree, you think X, I think Y. It is a, no one is allowed to think what the left has not approved. That's what the message of this is. And I could go after example, after example, after example. But I want to, I save time to talk with you about uh, the uh, Democrat agenda in 2018. But one other example, in fact, I know I won't get to it. I'll get to it later in the show because one other example of what we're up against and what we need to do about it, which was there is a Catholic, a, uh, not Catholic, a um, university, a divinity school. And in this divinity school, um, there was a um, protest in the middle of it's the Duke Divinity School, and during a scheduled talk, the state of the Divinity School, someone's giving an address to the students. They had a mob stand up, interrupt, start chanting, run to the front of the room at the Duke Divinity School, and to make a list of demands, and the demands were all from the LGBTQIA plus resources group, demanding all sorts of changes be made at the Divinity School to honor their desire, their demand to be legitimized, to be accepted, things like mandatory gender and sexuality training for staff and faculty, access to LGBTQIA resources, just a, a, a they had a three categories of demands, immediate, short-term, and long-term. They disrupted a school presentation about the, you know what was going on at the Duke Divinity School, made their demands, and then the woman who I, I hope will soon no longer be head of Duke Divinity School, Elaine Heath, issued a blathering apology and will do anything you say, please don't be mad at us, style letter back. Instead of saying, 
you're suspended from school and you might be expelled if you ever disrupt a, a presentation again. Had no nerve to do that. Didn't dare do it. Instead, uh, just a you know talked about the need for continuing dialogue. And we have to grow as a diverse and hospitable community. Blah blah blah. So now the LGBTQ community is running the show at Duke Divinity School, and Duke Divinity School is saluting. This stuff, folks, you think, well, that's just happening in colleges, and that's just happening at a divinity school, that's just happening at a law school. It's all over the country. And these people who get away with this in colleges will not graduate and then go out in the real world and discover that the real world isn't like this. They'll make the real world like what they're doing. So what is my call to action to you? Because I tell you, folks, it's bowling over of America's culture, this marginalizing of traditional American values such as marriage between a man and a woman, such as just, just I mean, all the cultural values the left is just, just find so abhorrent. They will be destroyed by the left unless we begin to speak up. And so here are calls to action. You better vote in your primary in your state. If you're in Texas, get out there and vote conservatively. I know that you think Texas can never go blue. Don't think that. Hold on to the power America has. Be willing to speak up in your community, in your church, in your wherever you are, your women's club. Speak up when someone says it just asserts a politically correct view is the only view there is. Speak up because pretty soon you won't be able to. Okay, after the break coming up, we have joining us Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick of Texas. He worked closely with the Trump administration, Trump campaign. We'll talk to him after the break. Come right back. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. 
If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. There's a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers, it's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I'm so glad you've tuned in tonight. And I believe we have online Lieutenant Governor of the great state of Texas, Dan Patrick. Hello, sir. Hey, Debbie. How are you? Good to be with you, as always. Love having you on, as always. It's great to have you. And, um, gee, we are in Texas two days away from our primaries. That's kind of amazing. It seems like they've been going on for about a year. <laughs> well, wait. for some candidates, they, they did uh, start uh, making plans and running, uh, but most got in during the summer. But... It may have only been uh, seven months, but I'm sure for many it feels like a year. Of course, we've been running as well, and we have a campaign, and, and we hope everyone gets out and votes for us on uh, Tuesday if they've not voted. But, um, you know, right now for lots of people, there are lots of close races. There's a lot of ha- high anxiety for, for them and their followers. There most certainly is. And, you know, um, for our listeners in Colorado and, and um, Arizona, you'll ha- your time is coming, okay? I know you've got – in fact, Arizona has really late primaries. I know it happens to be late August. But um, here in Texas is this heavy, heavy primary season. And actually the things I want to talk with you about really are relevant whether you're in Texas or uh, anywhere our listeners are. You know, uh, to start with, I am just – I'm just so um, pleased with the outcome of so many of the policies that have come out of the Republican. You know, we have the on the federal level, we have the Senate, we have the House, we have the White House. 
so much good coming out, so much with, um, you know, the tax cuts and all that. I think it's amazing, honestly, that there's so much um, energy, uh, it seems, in, in Texas on the Democrat side. I mean, things are going really well. Don't you agree? Uh, they're going great. I think the president uh, is doing a fantastic job. Most conservative president, and I'm a huge Ronald Reagan fan, as, as uh, every Republican I know worth their salt is, uh, this president has uh, done an incredible job, uh, despite the media not giving him credit and the Democrats attacking him. But here's the truth, Debbie. We live in the most uh, partisan atmosphere that I've seen in my life, and I've been around a number of decades now, and the Democrats are never, ever going to give him any credit. They can't acknowledge they, they can't even acknowledge that the tax cuts are working. I mean, you know, Pelosi calls it crumb. So, you know, for eight years, uh, it was easy to inspire a Republican voter by simply saying a vote for this candidate is a vote against Obama. And so now they are saying that, uh, that it's really everything is tied into Donald Trump. And while their turnout is up, which you would expect uh, at some level, uh, I don't know that it manifests itself in November in Texas, for example. Our Republican, we don't have a lot of premier races, and I say premier, high profile. Every race is important. Uh, we have vi- several uh, important races in the Texas Senate. And for your Dallas listeners, I hope those who live in the Bob Hall race will vote for Bob Hall, and in the Angela Paxton race, vote for Angela Paxton and Pat Fallon in his race. These are key conservatives that Amen. I come back in the Senate, uh, as well as our own race. But um, but we don't have high-profile races to really draw people out. And so there's a combination of things. But come November, um, our Republicans will have a big reason to come out, and that's to defeat the Democrats. You know, Democrats, for your listeners elsewhere, or even new to your show in Texas, haven't won a statewide office since 1992, and we don't intend for that to change. One thing, Debbie, let me make this real quick point, is that we may not actually be seeing the growth that everyone is reporting. There's no question it's growth and more growth on the Democrat side. And by that, I mean is that every year, and for your listeners in Arizona and I think you said Colorado or Oklahoma, we have early voting. Not every state has two weeks of early voting. And what has happened over the last four election cycles, uh, we increased the number of people who vote early and fewer people vote on election day. There were long lines Friday, this past Friday, the last day of early voting. Probably there won't be many lines on election day. So we have now moved up, Debbie, if if we – uh, stay true to form uh, from the last election and the election before that, somewhere between 58 and 60 percent of the Republican vote has already been cast. So when early voting first started many years ago, you know, it started slowly, but now 60 percent. So uh, we'll see on Election Day how that impacts us. On the Democrat side, Debbie, they have not been very aggressive in getting their mail ballots in, which are for 65 and over. They've not been very aggressive getting their voters out. So what I don't know is, and we'll find out Tuesday by the turnout, Have are they really up as much as, uh, uh, as it appears, uh, or have they just cannibalized the election day vote and their election day vote will be less? At the end of the day, they'll still have big increases. Um, but we'll find out uh, how much of that is early vote because they have really done uh, a strong job in getting their early vote out uh, more than ever. So we'll see what the final result is. We sure will. And, you know, it's a funny thing I'll tell you in Texas because I do um, follow some of the uh, races that you mentioned, other ones pretty closely. On election night in Texas, because we have early voting and it's so prominent, normally right when the polls close at 7 o'clock or just on election day or maybe 10 minutes after, 
you will see the announcement. They'll call some races. They'll say the early voting, or they'll at least say, look, early voting, you know, X candidates are up over Y by 60, 40. Uh, and usually that percentage does not change significantly. Usually if you really pulled out in the, in the early voting, you ended up, which is really a, a testament to, uh, I mean, on the Republican side, that people turn out to early vote and they, because they're passionate. But I want to go back to something. I'm on a... a I don't know if you're listening the first half an hour. We're speaking to Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. In the first half an hour, I was talking about, you know, the Democrat um, – If you probably saw, uh, Governor Patrick, you probably saw the Democrat Party. You know, we had on our side the Republican platform. We had things we can vote on, you know, like, yeah. you know, various things. What the Democrats were, um, uh, what they had that the uh, Democrat primary voters could vote on, honestly, they were they – were, it was – Really, very, very left wing. I mean, this is Texas. So you think the Democrats would have some rooting in freedom and conservatism somewhere? But the left it was so left wing. I, I mean, I don't know if you read it at all, but you know, basically free education for everybody and you know, free health care for everybody. Did you read their panel, their platform uh, at all? I, I didn't pay too much attention to it, um, to be candid with you. Uh, but I am aware of those, you know, the issues and. And the truth is, Debbie, in fact, let me give you this quick story to underscore this. Um, in the Republican primary, uh, we are very conservative, very conservative in the state of Texas. Uh, they are still very to the left in the state of Texas, even though we're a conservative state. But but we we have a little more freedom in our party in terms of people who run for office. In their party, They, if you're a pro-life Democrat, you can't run for office. Yeah. I see you can't. You could. You wouldn't get – you wouldn't get 5% of the vote. They just squash you like a bug. They won't let you speak if you're pro-life at a convention. I, I had a, uh, a Democrat senator when I became lieutenant governor four years ago. I'd been in the Senate for eight years, as you know, but for your listeners I, who don't know. And then I was elected in 2014 as lieutenant governor, and we have 20 Republicans, 11 Democrats, 31 senators. And one of the Democrat senators said to me, said, Dan, um, when are we ever going to win another statewide office? We haven't won one since 1992. And, of course, they all thought they were going to win last time, you know, all this hype around Wendy Davis and, and, and then my opponent for lieutenant governor. And, uh, and the truth was I said to him, I said, Senator, the Democrats won't win in Texas until you find a candidate who is pro-Second Amendment, who is pro-life, pro-school choice, pro-lower taxes, pro-smaller government, pro-securing the border. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, I said, and I said the truth is, you're never going to have that candidate, and the reason is that person could never get out of a primary. But the reason Governor Abbott and I won by 20 points four years ago was because we attracted the highest number of Hispanic voters in the history of the country for any Republican. We got nearly 50 percent of the Hispanic vote, and that shocked people. Well, why? Because the Hispanic voter is, guess what? They are pro-life. They are pro-family, pro-religious liberty, pro-Second Amendment pro-economic opportunity, pro-smaller government, smaller taxes, pro-school choice. So the Democrats are so far to the left now, um, they only attract the extreme left. And even in Texas, they have to toe the party line. It is astonishing. I mean, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I was smiling when you were, were going through that list because what you described is a Republican candidate. I mean, the, the yeah. Democrats, they, they can't get there. They can't, they can't satisfy their very far left base. And I do, I, I do feel like a lot of maybe long-term Democrat voters in this country who vote Democrat because their mom did and their grandparents did, they're looking at today's Democrat Party and thinking, these people are socialists, more or less. Yeah. I, yeah. They, they've or lost worse. their rooting in America or worse. Yeah. 
Yeah. Though, though, though they truly have, they've lost their, their compass. And, and when you're talking about the issues, for, the, for your listeners who don't know, we have 11 issues on the Republican ballot, which are very conservative issues. And it's not binding. It's, it's an opinion. It's an official poll. You know, you always hear about polls. Well, these are polls. This, people are actually going to vote on these things. And my guess is on the Republican side with all the key issues, it will be 80, 85, 90 percent on these key issues. And everything from lowering property taxes to standing for school choice, the, the list. And that just is kind of a guide. It's a, it's, a, it's a map. It's a guide for people who get elected to, to be able to say, look, here's where our voters are. I mean, we already think we know, and I, and I believe I know. We, we have been doing this for quite a while now, but it's good to see it reaffirmed. Well, on their side, guess what? Uh, their, their voters may not be voting 80 and 90 percent on some of their issues because not all of their voters are as extreme as their as the party is. I love that point. We have to zip off to a break. Speaking of Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, we come back. I want to ask him because he spent some time directly with President Trump. I want to ask him to tell you a little bit of a personal nature what Donald Trump is like. Come right back. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. 
They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. If you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. And I didn't, uh, when we started the last segment, have a chance for all of our listeners, whether you're in Texas or elsewhere, to say a little bit about him. Uh, and I want to do this before we launch off into a couple more questions. Uh, one is that um, Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, Governor Patrick, works so hard on behalf of so many candidates in Texas. He's one, especially if he has a, a candidate running, and not only just for uh, state Senate, some are House races, but just people who are part of the conservative movement. You can feel their fervor and their passion. He jumps in. He helps with their campaigns. He'll agree to be the you know the speaker to come to, so that to be a draw to bring people to, uh, to meet a new candidate. He is an extremely active lieutenant governor. In Texas, it's a very big job. We only you may think just because we our session, our official session of the uh, legislature is only for six months every other year that he's otherwise on vacation, but that is not true. He's a very, very busy act lieutenant governor and really uh, quite uh, one, as he mentioned, but I want to give credit for it too. He, he became lieutenant governor in 2014 and uh, won by a large margin by 20 points, which is huge, and also uh, historic levels of bringing in both Hispanic and uh, female voters. And I, I just think it's important to give credit for that because we're in an era where the Democrats try so hard to paint Republicans, um, especially especially uh, males, uh, Republicans as, you know, um, just kind of privileged and not and and or in some way, you know, not acceptable to the common guy. And there's ever was someone who can just talk to and work with and be with, the, you know, the everyday American is uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick. So I appreciate you very much, sir. OK, well, that's that's very nice of you to say. And. Look, I uh, when I ran for the Senate in 2007, no one thought I could win, and, and <laughs> yeah. we, we upset everyone. And when I ran for lieutenant governor, very few people thought I could win, and it's uh, it's on the wings of the voters, and you have to work hard and make your case, and, and uh, everyone's been very good to me. We, look, I have an opponent in this race, and, and we hope for a great outcome on Tuesday night, so we take nothing for granted. We've been working hard. A lot of your listeners may have seen our our pickup truck ad. It's been everywhere. My I love that. 52 Chevy. And, and you notice, Debbie, one of the things that I, the races I've gotten involved in is I've run a lot of commercials for the last six weeks. 
everything has been on issues. There are no negative. Uh, I've never run negative ads on a personal nature. I might talk about someone's voting record uh, if that applies, but everything is about issues. And and the races that I have gotten into, quite frankly, um, I, I've said to candidates, if you personally attack their family uh, or go after them in a way that has nothing to do with the race, I'm going to step in and speak out. And that's what I've done. And that's why I'm supporting Angela Paxson. That's why I'm supporting Bob Hall and Pat Fallon. Um, and in our in our party, we're so dominant in Texas that we're fighting amongst ourselves. And I hope when this is over uh, that that ends and everyone comes back uh, together. I want to I want to close the loop on what we were talking a, a moment ago about the Republicans and Democrats and and where we stand on on issues, Debbie. And and what's interesting to me about it is we have some about 15. If you look at all the polling, about 15 percent of the Republicans in Texas consider themselves moderate to liberal. They're fiscal conservatives, but not, you know, pro-life is not a big deal to them, or religious liberty issues aren't a big, even maybe the Second Amendment. They think we should stay away from those issues or privacy, whatever they may be. And here's the truth. The Hispanic voter that I mentioned that identifies with our party, and not just in Texas, but all over the country, our issues, uh, if we we abandon those core social issues, uh, then – there's no difference between us and the Democrats. I mean, we would want lower taxes and smaller government, and a stronger military, and all those things. But that that separates from that separates us. They are to the far left on all these social issues. So we must be a party that follows the conservative principles of Reagan, uh, and also the I believe the Word of God. I was in I was uh, at a church today, and and the pastor told me afterwards, and he's very active. And what he does is he says, look, and he has a very diverse congregation, black, white, and brown. Uh, you don't know if they're Republicans or Democrats sitting in the audience. I, I think a lot of them are Republicans, but don't know. But he says what he does is he just holds up the platform. You were talking about these issues. He says, okay, look, here are the things the Republicans are running on. Here's the platform, the party platform, and here's the Democrat platform. You choose. Now, for a lot of people who go to church, look, and a lot of people don't pay attention that close to what everything is going on in politics. Their lives are busy. They don't know what the party – they don't know what the Democrats stand for today. And when they see that, uh, I believe that a thinking American um, who cares about this country and is faith-based, they're going to make the right decision. I love that, and I could not agree more. I just mentioned earlier just the platform, the little proposals that were on the Democrat Party primary voting thing were just – so far left and on every in, in every imaginable way, and, and the platform is even more so. I want to switch though before we run out of time because I do want to talk to you about one thing that I've noticed, um, and I think is uh, I, I would just love your commentary on. So, my husband and I went to the Democrat Party, uh, it was probably at League of Women Voters, to call it a forum for the seven Democrat candidates running in CD32. And, which is a congressional district I happen to live in, uh, the U.S. congressional district. And so seven Democrats running, and we listened. We just went to take notes and learn and, and see what they were all about. I, I don't vote in the Democrat primary, to be very clear. I vote Republican straight down the line, always. But uh, what I noticed, what they were able to get the most energy out of all seven of these Democrats, essentially said, first of all, they will instantly— move to impeach President Trump. They will do whatever they can to impeach him. They will sign first day. It almost doesn't what matter what they come up with. They also were all up for universal health care, just get it all under Medicare, a Medicare-style thing, you know, free health care for everyone. And those two things, I think, should be enough to alarm most voters. But the thing I want to talk with you about, um, Governor Patrick, was how um, 
they were very, they seemed to think was a winning argument to say, to just kind of roll their eyes about President Trump and just uh, speak of him in a very negative way. Uh, And I know they're talking to what they assume is a Democrat audience, but it was a presumption. Well, no one likes him and everyone's down on him. He's a bad guy. And, you know, I honestly, now you and I, uh, uh, Dan, uh, both supported uh, in the primary, supported Ted Cruz uh, for for president. And then when he dropped out, we got behind Donald Trump. But you spent a lot of time with Donald Trump helping in his presidential race in 2016. And I've gotten to know him over a year plus time. So I, I would love to try to rebut a little bit, if, if you could, you know, sure. what he's really like personally. So tell us what he's like. Well, first of all, you're correct. I was Ted's chairman. And when he stepped out, I was his chairman for Texas, but I traveled across the country with him in a number of states. And, and when he was out, I reached out to the Trump campaign and said, look, I'd like to help the president in Texas and anywhere he needs me. I mean, the cabinet, Donald Trump, at that point. And excuse me. And so they said, "Well, you were with you were with Ted." I said, "Well, I was." I said, "But my goal is to beat Hillary Clinton. That's the goal, and I'm all in. Count me in. I'll do whatever you need." So we got together in June of 2016. I met him for the first time, and like everyone else listening, unless they happen to know him or have met him, I I had not seen him except on television or live at a debate. And when I spent time on his plane, we flew together to a number of cities, and uh, and, and over time, we, we did a number of trips together. What I found and saw and immediately was someone who's a great listener. He cares about everyone. He wants everyone in America to be successful. Uh, he loves this country. He loves our military. He loves law enforcement. He's smart. Um, it, he is the most unique person that's ever run for office. I don't know that, <laughs> sure. you know, I mean, he, you know, the Bible has always, God has always kind of selected the most unlikely people suddenly to take a major place in in in, uh, in Scripture and in our world. And there's no question he was an unlikely person. And and some of the things he's doing, he may be the only person who could pull it off. He, he's able to, you know, um, to bring people on board uh, by being tough when he needs to be tough and, and also being supportive when, when he's supportive and listening. And, and uh, so I, let me, let me give you a quick snapshot. But when this book came out, I never told this story before the book came out that it was attacking his mental prowess and his, you know, can he remember and all of these things. But during our, we had a special session last summer after our regular session. And, uh, and I supported him. And the last time I saw him was in October before the election. I went to the inauguration, but I didn't see him. There were several hundred thousand people there. I didn't talk to him at the inauguration. Uh, so I had not talked to him since October. I went through the whole session, and we're in special session in August, and I get – and I'm out on the Senate floor, and my staff comes out and says, the White House is on the line. The president would like to speak with you. And the reason I've never told this story, I didn't want to sound all Dan's bragging, so I kept it to myself until this book came out to make this point. So he – I'd been on Fox that morning talking about the wall, and, and, and sanct- we, we were the first legislative body to ban sanctuary seats in the country last session. So he just called to Dan. He talked to me like we just – been talking, you know, you know, the next the day before over barbecue or something. They said, Dan, he said, you're on Fox Day. You were great. Well, I said, thank you, Mr. President. And that call lasted about 25 minutes. And we talked about everything. And he genuinely was interested in what was going on in Texas, my thoughts on different things. And so then I started asking him questions. I said, Mr. President, I, you know, take advantage of that. And at the end of the call, I brought up something that was very detailed. And he and he wasn't aware of it at the time. And he said, "Okay, let me write. Let me make a note here, and I'm going to look into this and follow up on this." I said, "Thank you, Mr. President." Now, three weeks to the day later, he came to Texas 
three days after the terrible Hurricane Harvey. Yeah. Uh, and he flew to Corpus Christi, and I flew down to meet with him and Governor Abbott, a couple of first responders, and we met in a firehouse. And there were about maybe 12 of us, and this was in the worst of the worst. The storm was still raging in parts of Texas. And he did the briefing. He listened to everybody. He inspired everybody. You know, when they said, Mr. President, it could be six to nine months before we can pl- clean up this debris, said, well, that's not good enough. Tell me what I need to do to help you. We need to get this debris out of here in three months. We need to clean up. We need to do this. I mean, he took a businessman's approach. But when the meeting was over, he got up from the table. He came around. And when he walked in, he saw me. He just said, hi, Dan. He walked around, and he put his arm around me. And he picked up on that conversation, Debbie, that we had had three weeks before. As I if love we it. Had just, if we had just talked about it, you know, the, the night before the telephone. Word for word, remembered everything. Now, think about this. He's the president of the United States. And while my job is important in Texas and, and powerful, you know, I'm just a lieutenant governor of Texas, you know, in the big scheme of things. You know, I'm not high on his list of people he's talking to on a daily basis. So imagine in three weeks how many people he's talked to, how many congressmen, senators, world leaders, CIA briefings, military briefings, all of those things. And he didn't even know I was going to be at that meeting. It's not like he prepared to see me. And he put his arm around me. He said, you know, I, I looked into that, and he, and he ticked through it. So when anyone suggests he is not – really smart and has a good memory um they they're just they just don't like him and they're never going to give him credit for anything but this man is smart um he also is plain spoken um he speaks the language of a, of a of, of a lot of folks um sometimes it's colorful but you know sometimes americans have colorful language and he <laughs> he, he speaks to the he, he speaks to the heart of the issue he explains it clearly and he says i'm going to do it i mean look what he's accomplished First of all, yeah. had more conservative justices appointed uh, one to the Supreme Court lifetime and these other federal benches, which are lifetime. The most conservative any president and the most any president's done in year one. The biggest tax cut. I didn't think they might be able to get it done, but they got it done. Dan Patrick, I got to jump in. This guy's going to anyway, play music. Thank you so much. He's done a great job. He's a great president. And the Democrats are gonna. The more they criticize him, the more they're going to lose because the people know better. Amen to that. Thank you so much.